0: Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. We are not in the studio today like the rest of the country and indeed much of the planet. uh, Property Matters is in lockdown due to COVID-19 and we're adhering to all restrictions. I'm delighted to be joined remotely by John McCartney, Head of Research at Savills. John, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Carol. So, John, a lot has changed in the last week and and two weeks. So we might just start by by asking uh, you from uh, Savills' point of view, uh, are all Savile's employees
1: now working remotely? Absolutely, yeah. We're open for business. Um, everybody is uh, mobile enabled, so we're all able to work from home. And aren't we lucky that we work in an industry where we can do that, really, when you see the fallout in the labour market? Uh, the, the other thing, I suppose, is uh, that we, we obviously have a huge presence in China where um, where this outbreak first first rose, and um, all of our offices as of last week are back up and running um, in, in, in China. So we opened the Wuhan
0: office again last week and that was the last one to be re- reinstated and fully open, open and working. Oh, very interesting. So you actually have a bit of, I suppose, a little bit of a group experience here to draw from, unlike many firms in Ireland. Um, how many weeks were the, was the were the Chinese offices shut down for? Well, it, it, it depends. They didn't all reopen at the same time. The Wuhan one was obviously the last to reopen. Um, and in Beijing, there are
1: some restrictions still on occupancy levels. So while you can, we've we've reopened the office in Beijing a number of weeks ago, but um, you, you can't have full 100% occupancy there. So there's a sort of roster system in place. Uh, but but generally, it, it was, I think, eight weeks Um uh before everything was was back up and running more or less so that that, that was the timescale in china now I, I suppose look we 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 have to um we we have to have regard to the chinese experience because as you say they were the first to get the bug and so we've mm-hmm. something to learn from their recovery but equally you know there's a lot of differences between china and ireland or the other european country both in terms of The way we might seek to deal with this, but also the physical conditions. You know, there there is a different climate that obviously has a biological effect on the transmission of the bug. People Mm -hmm. live and work in 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 in, in closer proximity in Asian cities than they do in European cities generally, and certainly in in Irish cities, which again has an impact on the transmission. And there are of course things like demographics you know we know that italy has the oldest population in europe and that has been cited by a number of people as a sort of a reason for the high level of fatalities in italy or at least a contributing factor so there, there, there are lots of moving parts here and i suppose and um, we do have to look at what's happening in china but we can't be assured that
0: you know, the path to recovery in Europe will follow exactly the same trajectory. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many factors at play, as rightly point out. But say if we look to, you know, if we narrow this down, say, to a a business perspective or certainly for the business of real estate, um, you know, obviously we know that technology plays a huge part in in keeping things. It's certainly not business as usual, but keeping things operational. So from the experience um, across maybe some of your international offices um, that were closed, maybe for particularly in China, where you had closures for eight weeks, you know, was business able to continue? And, you know, if so, to what extent?
1: Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you you can still do um, all of all of the communication with your clients and all of that through various different facilities and we're we're using a a mixture of of tools including skype and microsoft teams and zoom and and various other different things and 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 that has been the case i believe across the global network as well Uh, and individual teams find what works for them from the range of 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 options that they have but um you know at the end of it all uh, there, there, there are two things. Firstly, it is a people business, mm-hmm. and people like to go in and, and see the properties that they're buying, whether that's commercial investments or residential uh, purchases. They, they like to be able to go in and and see it, and and certainly prop tech will 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 take you so far, but there's no substitute for for that because at the end of it all, um, these tend to be big purchases. Both the commercial ones, obviously, very, very big, chunky investments. And also, you know, for families and households, uh, purchase of a property is obviously a very, very big life decision. So people want to go in and, and see these things. And the other thing is it's created uncertainty. Mm. Uh, and our experience, I think, uh, on the commercial side certainly has been that most of the, the deals that were underway um you know, at the at the onset of this pandemic, uh, have continued to remain remain alive. And they're you know they're happening. In, my apologies, Kyle, I don't know if you can hear that on the line. No, you're um, fine. But, um, yeah, the, the, these these deals have continued to um, to sort of progress behind the scenes. Um, you know, and everybody's continuing to do their due diligence, and everybody's continuing to get their legals in order, so that they can pull the trigger when the time is right. Assuming that the the, the COVID nineteen pandemic is more or less dealt with, I think in a sort of a twelve week time frame, I think that's what most people have in in mind as a working proposition. So, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the deals getting to a certain point now. Whether people will actually go ahead and sign uh the these deals in in the midst of of all of this uncertainty is i'm sure but i you know, I think they will probably get them to the point where they're ready to sign. And by that stage, hopefully with will more clarity and people will be comfortable to go ahead and, 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 and do the deals having done the due diligence already. But it remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a huge difference um if we break down not just between residential and commercial, but actually if we break down between um for residential uh home buyers versus investors, you know, because obviously we've seen over the past uh, certainly, seven, eight years, we've seen this transition to online auctions. Um, so we know that investors are comfortable buying properties that they've never set foot in. Um, but I don't know if that's true at this time for home buyers, whether they're first time buyers or people trading up or down, because you very rightly pointed out there about PropTech. You know, PropTech has huge capabilities, and I've been such a proponent of proptech over the last number of years through proptech Ireland but also on the show here over the past year or 15 months that we've been on air you know we we tend to dedicate at least one third of every show to um emergent technologies for the built environment whether it's for property or planning or construction or visualization tools um and while I'm I'm utterly confident about the capabilities of proptech I think what this current um you know, what this current pandemic is teaching us, it's really teaching us the limitations of that. And one of the big things is that we've seen that culture change hasn't kept pace with the change uh, or with the the pace of um, technology innovation. So what I mean by that is I don't know if home buyers are ready to commit to a purchase of a property um, that they haven't set foot in, which I know we should be we should be part of the way there in terms of our experience of purchasing off-plan. But there's something a little bit different about that. You know, people can still visit the site. They can still, you know, walk around the site. They know what their neighbours are, you know, who their neighbours are going to be and what the neighbouring surroundings are going to be like. And I'm not sure, have we made the culture shift for homebuyers to, to be able to proceed just using technology? Yeah, I... I... I think you're 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 probably uh, right, Carol. Um, and may, may, maybe the
1: interesting uh, outcome of all of this, when the dust settles, and it's not sorry, obviously not to trivialise the public health implications, and there is going to be genuine grief and hardship for individual families that are affected by it. But of course, course property market. Um, you know it it, it it could be that this sort of the adoption of of these technologies happens not necessarily in a linear fashion over time often it takes a catalytic event to mm. to, to, to 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 stimulate the adoption of these technologies and this might be it so um you know maybe this will be the, the, the proving of of um you know online platforms it, it may be it may be the factor that that sort of causes them to go into the mainstream, just as it may be the factor that causes the working from home model to become more mainstreamed. Mm -hmm. And people are just more comfortable with it because the the technologies that I mentioned earlier, Skype, Zoom, Microsoft Teams have been around for quite a while. Um, But speaking for myself, I, I, I wasn't a huge user of Microsoft Teams, for example, and now I'm having meetings on it every day and you find that there's nothing to be scared of. The technology works and everybody initially muddled through a little bit, then gets comfortable with it and the concept is proved. And it may well be the case with online trading platforms too, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's going to be a critical factor. But I suppose all of this, um, well, there's two things. First of all, that um, it's really widening the gap between the the estate agencies and uh, the property professionals who have embraced technology and those who haven't. So um, the firms who embraced, or the firms that embraced PropTech over the past number of years, you know, they have a head start in this. And I just wonder, say for uh, smaller regional estate agencies across the country that are in areas of poor broadband that might have a different demographic of buyers and sellers and um, landlords and tenants. I'm just wondering Will they be in a position to catch up? You know, will the will the learning curve be too steep? Will the investment required be too much at this at this point? You know, are we going to are we going to see this essentially being the final nail in the coffin for some estate agencies that just haven't kept pace over the past decade?
1: Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, 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 do think that some of the smaller brands are uh, under pressure, or the the, the sort of independent um, estate agents, and and that has been the case really. Uh, Carol, I, I would say since before. Uh, the, the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, you know, it's a tough business model. You know, you cover a lot of ground and you burn up a lot of shoe leather. Um, for relatively, re- it's a, a relatively tight margin business. Um, and yeah. Residential resales, particularly, um, and so, um, you know, in that context, then the temptation is always to forsake. Uh, Capex, um, and obviously the smaller brands are the ones uh, that that are more likely to do that because um, they can't absorb the, the the cost, you know, and spread them across, um, you know, multiple offices. So you're 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 probably uh, you're probably right there, Carol. But it's probably just going to accelerate a trend that I think was already in
0: place. I think we've seen consolidation in the sector, yeah. and I think we've seen a bit of a shakeout even before COVID nineteen as well. Yeah I I think you've hit the nail on the head with that I think what we're seeing now is an acceleration of a trend that was absolutely um that was absolutely on the cards uh, but let, let's break it down let's break it down between say the second hand homes market and and new homes because in fact the agencies that we're referring to there you know maybe independent agencies in more regional areas uh, they're less likely to have new homes on their books because we know that there's been uh, less new homes development in those areas. So we saw earlier in the week, um, Professor Ronan Lyons forecast that the second hand sales market is likely to um, freeze, well, I think was the term he used, over the next couple of weeks. So um, I suppose firstly, from Savile's point of view, are you starting to see that? Well,
1: um, it, it's probably too early to say. My my perception is that there will probably continue to be a trickle of transactions happening, you know. And mm-hmm. so, for example, we know that the local authorities are active uh, in the market buying second-hand properties um, in order to meet the housing needs of their client base. Uh, likewise, the AHBs or the housing associations mm-hmm. are 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 doing similar, and they have their budgets in place. And I, I suspect that it's uh, they will continue uh, to 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 do deals uh, over the next few weeks, regardless. Um, I, you know. So, I, but then, uh, you know, looking at it from the point of the of view of the individual householder, we do have a lot of headwinds there us there is the you know the physical barrier to getting out and seeing the property there's the the, the physical barrier between you and your solicitor you can't go and sit down and meet them um uh, the online platforms as we say i think will uh, will enable people to continue their searches mm-hmm. and to prep uh for the moment uh when when the the restrictions are lifted and, and normal business resumes, so I think that will all go on in the background. But I think Ronan is probably right. Um, there will be certainly um, a, a sharp slowdown, I would say, in transactional activity.
0: Okay, and uh, if we look towards the new homes market up until up until really um, the weekend, the. The delivery of housing was still was still ongoing. Building sites were still open, while it was controversial, um, particularly those providing or delivering social housing to the market. We know that that has now stopped. And um, so today, um, we're, we're recording this show on Monday morning. We know that activity has stopped on construction sites, and the only essential construction activity will be that related to. The delivery of projects in direct response to the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, how, how can the market can the market bear or can the market tolerate a slowdown in the delivery of homes at this time? Oh uh,
1: yeah, I, I think so. I, I I presume what you're driving at there is you're, you're sort of um you're you're talking about the perceived acute housing shortage and
0: you know what is this going to do to the fundamentals of the market is it going to starve the market of supply at a moment when we when we need to be building as many units as as we can get is that broadly what you're asking yeah absolutely absolutely well i've i've never been a, a a huge subscriber to to that theory you know my 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 view carol has been um for for a while um and by that i mean 18 months or two years that the uh,
1: the residential market in Ireland generally and certainly in Dublin has shown all the signs of a market that's coming into equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do we know? We know that we've had, um, you know, a four and a half foot increase in uh, new dwelling completions since the low point back in, I think it was 2013. Um, so there has been a, a big uh, recovery in, in housing output and last year uh, new dwelling completions were about 21,000. Nationally people would argue that that's not enough but I would say two things I would say first of all we must remember uh, that there is additional hidden supply that I never hear anybody talking about so we built 8,600 um, student beds since Q2 2016 they uh, clearly feed into the overall supply of housing because if it wasn't for them, the students would be out procuring their uh, accommodation in the mainstream PRS Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that that's a material source of supply. I think many people don't know that when the ghost estates, um, when 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 those um, came out of mothballs and started to be um, finished out, uh, all of the units. Uh, that were that were in 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 that category uh, where we're not counted as new there that's a declining balance of this states most of those have now been uh, built out and the, the the sort of the monthly flow of of completions in in ghost estates has, has reduced to a trickle i would say but looking backwards uh, you can't ignore this because it has been a very material source of supply and it's not counted in the twelve completions. And then all those local authority voids that have been brought back into use; these are properties that were uh, boarded up and uh, derelict and have been brought back into use. Uh, de facto, I think we could consider those new supply as well. So when we when we add all that in, th- th- those three sources combined have been adding the equivalent of about 4,000 additional units a year. So the 21,000, as measured by new dwelling completions last year, in reality is more like 25,000 or even a bit more. Uh, So so that's the first point I would make. The second point I would make is, you know, um, any discussion of about whether that is an adequate number of units to be building has to be, of course, framed within the context of how many are needed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, doctors differ and patients die. It may be an unfortunate turn of phrase in the circumstances, forgive me, but um, there is a variety of opinion out there as to what the housing requirement is. Um, And my view is that... um, that, uh, the housing requirement has probably reached a peak. Um, It's mostly based on population growth, which can only depend really on three things, that is births, deaths and net migration in terms of births. The number of people being born every year has declined sharply since 2010 and the reason for that is that there's fewer women in the age group for having children and we know that that's going to continue to be the case for the next uh, three or four years, maybe five years. Uh, the number of deaths rising each year people don't realize that but it is the case uh, and the reason for that is that the population is getting older so the death rate per thousand in the uh, older age group um, has been reducing due to better medicine and better lifestyles mm-hmm. uh, the absolute number of old people has increased and as a result of that the absolute number of, of deaths is rising um, and then in terms of net migration uh, you know, uh, last year we saw a slight reduction in net migration compared with the year before, uh, and we shouldn't have been surprised at that because, on average, looking at it over seventy years, Ireland has been a net exporter of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 flow of net migration has been highly cyclical. The average upswing in a cycle lasts for about eleven years and we're currently in year six. So you would have expected net migration based on on observation of previous cycles to have peaked sometime around last year or this year. And sure enough, it got to 34,000 net inward migration in 2018. And it actually went down a little bit last year. And according to the ESRI last Thursday, um, we can look forward to maybe uh, a further reduction in net migration this year directly related to coronavirus, but the other thing about about it is high-level stuff, just look at where Ireland is, you know, we're hanging out there in the North Atlantic um, with a big body of sea between us and the rest of the action, and, you know, the, the, the two things that drive migration to a country are, number one, geographical proximity, people move as short a distance as they can to get an improvement in their living standards. And the second factor is that improvement in the living standards. What is the income differential? And Ireland is certainly by no means uh, a low-wage economy uh, in a European context, uh, but we're in the mid-table. We're, you know, we're not at of the league in terms of living standards. And if you believe that most of the migration would originate in the south or the east, then there are other countries that are closer to those sources of migration um, than Ireland. Uh, And you'd question why people would go through those countries to get to Ireland, um, you know, if, 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 if we don't have higher living standards. So Overall, um, I, you know, I sort of think net migration has probably peaked for this cycle, and as a result, population growth will probably, is probably at a peak in 2018, 2019, and will probably edge back from, from this point. So I think um, that on the supply side, you know, it's been ramping up strongly, and we expect that to continue. There was 8,600 units actually on-site under construction, at the end of last September in Dublin, that's comfortably uh, a cyclical peak. And um, so, on the supply side, I think the the, the the rapid increase in output that we've seen in recent years will will continue, notwithstanding the hiatus that we're going to uh, that we're going to experience because of COVID nineteen. Uh, and on the demand side, I I do think demand has probably plateaued and will will ease back. I certainly uh, think that some of these estimates of how many units building to cover obsolescence of the stock are uh, hugely exaggerated, um, you know. And I think that these arguments about the declining household size demanding um, a certain amount of, of additional housing are also wide of the mark. Empirically, the average household size hasn't really moved for the last decade, and the reason for that is we had a huge baby boom between 2007 and 2012 um, and even the biggest of those children is only
0: uh, you know they're only coming eight, nine this year you know so um, uh,
1: so so, uh, so, so my, my my take on it really is that um, uh, you know the babies can't live on in single-person households they tend to live in big households with their mum and their dad and their brothers and sisters, so you've got given an increased weighting to a cohort of the population that tends to form big households and equally, we've had a sharp contraction in the number of people in their 20s actually over the last decade, and they're the ones that tend to live in small households so putting it all together uh, you know, I I, I think um, the, the market based on fundamentals of supply and demand has been coming into equilibrium anyway and you can see that in the pricing signals if you look at, at house price inflation. You know, it was it was um, on a steady and, 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 and fairly pronounced downward uh, trend uh, long before coronavirus kicked in. You know, I mean, it, you know, back in April 2018, uh, house price inflation was over 13%. It's so gone to more or less nil, um, be, be, you know, by the end of last year.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's something that has gotten lost in the in the rhetoric over the past uh, week or ten days about this pandemic. The fact that there there was a trend in place already.
1: Correct, Carol, you know, and and, and many people, I think, um, have have tried to pass this trend off as a sort of a side effect of the mortgage rules. And Again, I, I don't believe that either, because I ask you this. And well, I ask you two questions. I mean, the first question is, well, it's the mortgage rules. How come rental inflation has been slowing as well? Surely mm-hmm. the mortgage rules aren't causing that to happen. And and secondly, if you take uh, one of the regional markets, let's take the, the Midlands or the South, Southeast, you know, the average property in the Midlands is about €190,000. A couple on average earnings in the Midlands can borrow uh, about €250,000. So the mortgage rules are clearly not a a binding constraint in in the Midlands, um, but yet house price inflation has slowed in the Midlands, just as it has in Dublin and Cork. So overall, to me, it it looks as if, you know, supply has been catching up with demand um, and that's just been bringing about a more sensible market with more moderate house price inflation. And more recently that has also brought sort of more moderate rent inflation as well and um i expect that uh you know when when this current crisis passes uh that we we will just see a resumption of that really you know that the markets just become more balanced
0: okay and and that that's something that of course we must welcome
1: Italy. I think there's really there's no winners in the long run you know from uh, from very high housing costs I think it just is uh, it, it, it it creates human misery it creates and it's a, it's like you know it, it's sort of cuts against you know
0: our, in terms of national productivity so absolutely absolutely and uh, John before we let you go maybe just a quick word about the commercial market because obviously what we've seen at the moment um are commercial tenants looking for a rent freeze um is it too early at this point without knowing how long this uh, market hiatus uh, as you put it is likely to continue um is it too early at this point to be able to um forecast how this is likely to impact on the commercial market performance for twenty twenty. Uh,
1: prob- probably, probably is Carol to to you know to forecast in any level of detail. But I think we can we can we can have a a, a sort of a common sense uh, view of how it's likely to pan out um, in, in the certain se- sectors. So in retail, um, you know, obviously uh, the income flow has been cut off. Uh, at the ankles for uh, for many retailers um, and, and, and since really since even so, if you go back to the week beginning the 9th of March there was a 28% year-on-year decline in Dublin City footfall um, we go to the, the week beginning the 16th of March the following week um, a 66% yeah. uh, decline in footfall and that was before the um, non-essential uh, shop, shops were shut down on the 24th and, indeed, before that was further tightened in the 20, on the 27th. So, um, so you know, every time, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a customer decides to stay at home and not go to work, that's potential potential loss of business for retailers so their income has been cut off straight away and I I suspect landlords um, are already coming under pressure to uh, give abatements, you saw um, uh, data released from British land and into last week, two big institutional retail investors, and they had both detailed uh, the extent to which they were offering rent abatement. So, I suspect that that will be happening. And you've seen, of course, um, that for its part, the government has uh, put a uh, uh, pause commercial rates um, for the affected industries for for three months, which I think is a very positive thing. In terms of offices I think it's slightly different because um, you know really um, you, you know the, the the big occupiers of office space around town are of course the u.s tech multinationals take a, a lot of space um, and also you know we have um, the public service that, that that takes a lot of space so I I, I expect that the 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 pressure on rents won't be won't be the same there um as it would be in in retail i think industrial is an interesting one or logistics i think it's it's an interesting one i think there will probably be some logistics firms that are are really really busy at the moment because people are getting their groceries brought in and they're having stuff delivered to their house whereas they previously would have been out you know collecting stuff themselves but i think in the long run um that this pandemic is a net negative for the logistics sector because ultimately um you know we're going to have a sizable labor market shakeout uh, there's going to be people uh, who were earning good salaries that and, and they're going to suffer a big reduction in their incomes that's going to hit uh, personal consumption expenditure, and ultimately, in a, in a country like Ireland, where we, we you know we're not a big producer of goods, we're more you know logistics. In, in a country like that, it is more uh the activity in, in in the logistics sector is dictated by consumption. And consumption's got fall. And I think there will be uh, pressure on logistics operators on as well. In the short, but I think you know at the end of it all, uh, you know, if 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 the sort of mainstream perception comes to fruition, then this should probably be a sort of a twelve week event with a bit of a shoulder to recovery. Then in 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 Q three, that's the our central
0: case at the moment, based on the experience in China. Yeah, and that's probably the best that we can hope for at this stage. But of course, it's it's too early to say. We will leave it there. Our thanks again to John McCartney, Head of Research at Savills. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned.
1: Everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM.
0: And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon, recording from home as the government um, guidelines have stated. The radio station remains closed and is operating remotely. So I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Pat Davitt, CEO of IPAV. Pat, you're very welcome. Thank you, Carol. Um, We're all all recording from home. We're all recording from home. Every piece of technology that I've been pushing for the past five years is being tested, and I can tell you, not all of it is holding up. Okay. And Pat, it's been it's been a uh, not just difficult. It's it's just been a couple of weeks of uncertainty, and then when things change, they change very quickly. How are you finding things for your members? How are you hearing from them? well uh,
2: the, the whole the property market uh, I would say at the moment with most members there are some sales still happening, believe it or not and um, there are some sales that are falling through and there are some sales that people are negotiating and discussing and leaving as are at the moment until such time as the whole what, uh, the whole uh, corona settles down and we see what's going to be the other side of this. So okay. I suppose it's
0: a quiet time in one way, uh, most people are working from home and I suppose that in itself is caused its own problems because none of us were sort of, I'd, I'd say, were set up for this originally at all. But now things are quite quite different and people are sort of, you know, probably into it and uh, it's a different thing, I suppose, with people now as to what they're doing. Yeah, it's difficult to know, isn't it? So if we break down, if we break down, say, the different property, um, the different property types, you know, we can see that just um, anecdotally, it seems to be that, you know, people who had um, already sale agreed their property, uh, that their intention was at this point, at this stage is still to proceed. You know, they're they're perhaps feeling that at the moment, they're not feeling the threat in terms of job security. If they've already viewed the property, they they seem to want to proceed. But some interesting things we're hearing is that solicitors are advising, um, potential buyers or would be buyers even after they've they've um paid the booking deposit, not to proceed with the transaction because it's likely that that prices will drop in the short term. Have you seen much of that? I I that first have heard of that. Yeah. I
2: haven't heard that at all and, 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 and I don't know what like solicitors obviously can advise what they like but at the end of the day, they know more than I or anybody else knows what's going to happen when we get out the other side of this COVID. Um, and the big thing about it is obviously that a lot of the, the markets, uh, like especially out of Dublin, haven't, they're still probably 30-40% behind where they were in 2006 and even the Dublin ones there's been a a, size bit correction there in the past 18 months or so possibly from 20-25% in the last Dublin market so the prices are sort of they're not they're not huge at the moment so
0: I don't know whether it would be safe advising that or not and that could well be the case I don't know. Yeah Um, Um, well I suppose it's impossible to see it this time and you know because certainly I, I um, I read over the the week that Roland Lyons has predicted that the second hand um the second hand sales that they're likely to freeze over the coming weeks have did you I see like that yeah, that is in transactions are likely to stop um I know that for properties listed um in March so far, I think we're running at about uh two thousand seven hundred or two thousand eight hundred and that's compared to four thousand one hundred. This time last year, so we know that there are fewer second-hand homes being listed for sale this month. And I think that's,
2: I think that makes sense because a lot of the viewings and thinking of selling haven't gone ahead. Yeah. Because people auctioneers don't want to go to visit people's houses, and people who own houses don't want them to come to visit their house either. So I think a lot of people would have said, "Look, at, uh, we leave this off for the moment, and when." We did some clarity in what's going on, then we put our property back in the market again. So yeah. I think that would be the case, all right. And I'd say the homes that um, you're talking about the secondhand homes, yes, probably some of them. Some some of those sales would be sort of frozen, all right. But at the same time, them that's vacant uh, the second homes that are vacant, I think they're still going on, and I think that they will probably find life um, in the in the near future, probably before the COVID is over, I'd say
0: these. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. No. that's it. That's interesting ones that are already in train. And in terms of new homes or perhaps, you know, transactions that would generally be done off plan anyway, do you think that this is likely to have as much of an impact on those types of of sales? Well, it's after like the
3: the, new government list that
0: uh,
2: was issued on on Friday. And that list has closed uh, all of the sites for new housing. Mm-hmm. So I think whether we like it or we don't like it, like even to get into the evaluations
3: apart from viewings and everything, um, even to do those, it's not possible to do them. And while people can look, you know, at online and you can look at a hand view house
2: and and, 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 and uh, see what sort it is and everything, but at the same time from I think all auctioneers' experiences, nobody is going to buy something that They're all going to want to visit the house at some stage, yeah. whatever that's going to be. Yeah. So that, like you know, I think even the new houses now I think uh, will have come to an end, unless again there are some that are uh,
3: contract signed and that they are finished. But even to get to take possession of those houses now on site is going to be quite difficult. Yeah. So
2: for the next two weeks, I think things are going to be quiet in the new houses uh, as well as the second ones.
0: Okay, and how are your members feeling, like particularly outside of Dublin? What kind of sense are you getting from them? Well, I think it was a huge thing. The first the first uh, big thing was it was a huge thing to close their offices mm-hmm. um, because
2: I'd say auctioneers' offices weren't, like right down through the last recession and everything, like they were never closed before. So I think it's a big, big thing. I think it's closed offices, but lots of people are in the same situation as the auctioneers, like, you know, they would have to close their, their offices or the shops or their grand
3: so it was a big big thing it was a big shock for them I think and uh, auctioneers were no different mm-hmm. so they uh, then they were working from the back offices and most of them now are working from the back offices they're working from home mm-hmm. so that
2: you know it's a complete different uh, transformation for them and trying to do business from home on some things that we all thought probably would work that some of them do work and some of them don't work um, take from a technology point of view I think it's
3: um, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge for everybody. And then, obviously, then you have got staff that has to go with it as well. Even though the government schemes have been very helpful, very good, and very set up very quickly. Mm-hmm. But even at that, though, like to have staff for years, auctioneers,
2: years, would have enough costs. And again, it's difficult for them to be uh, talking to staff about maybe having to let them go, or maybe having to pay them to keep them involved with the company or whatever way they're going to go about it or maybe keep paying them themselves for a little while because they feel that they need to do that so it, it's it's a quite it's a trying and a quite difficult situation there's no doubt about
0: it yeah and do you think you know and i really i have no doubt about that and um i'm very mindful of uh the marketplaces that you mentioned earlier in the interview you know the places certainly outside of urban centers that haven't experienced uh full recovery by any stretch of the imagination and I, I think that that's something that gets lost a lot in the conversation when we talk about you know the shortage of homes and and house prices you know even over the past two years when we we're talking about house prices moving ahead you know that wasn't happening um across the the country that was happening in pockets but we still have pockets now that you know they they never, they never recovered and um, they were, you know, very vulnerable even coming into this year. And now this, you know, will they be able to withstand this, you know, if it lasts two weeks, if it lasts eight weeks, if it lasts 12 weeks? Do you know, will your members be able to withstand that?
2: I think there are, there are, there are members which from the South and officers, I'd say that the chances are some of them won't be up and again. Um, there are uh, probably going to be new members who will open new offices and do things differently Mm -hmm. from their point of view. But it's it's a pity for some of the older members that have been for years in the auctioneer business and maybe even for generations to have to close their offices. Um, I know that we all want to to, uh, do what the government asks us to do and everything, and auctioneers are no different than that. But at the same time, you know, definitely that is the scenario I think you've painted, it, you've painted it correctly and I think throughout the country I think in smaller towns smaller areas because we have members in, in, in towns most towns in Ireland and I think definitely there will be some people that will probably be left behind by all of this which is um, it's, it's a terrible shame Yeah, unfortunately the way it is you know and like people you, you, know, you have to you have to do what the government wants you to do as well because obviously it's in all our interests and nobody wants doing anything outside of that, you know, because we all want this to go away as quickly as we can and we all want to do what we can to make sure that everybody, our neighbours, and everybody
0: else is safe as well. So like you know it, it, it's uh, it's very important. Yeah. Uh, from that point of view. But obviously yeah. when it's all over and businesses, then
2: we're back to businesses again and we're back to livelihoods again, it's going to be it's going to be slightly different.
0: Yeah, look I, I absolutely understand what you're saying there. You know obviously public health comes first. And one thing we know in life, and and it was really brought to the fore during the last recession, you know, we know that priorities are relative. And, you know, if there are health issues, then they consume as a priority. But if there aren't immediate health, um, issues, then actually survival turns to something a little more base, which is keeping your job or keeping your business going. And there was, you know, I, I certainly felt there was almost an assumption that most people could operate their businesses remotely because the technology has existed for nearly a decade. But the reality is, as you pointed out there, um, not all the technology is working the way we thought it would work. It's different when we're using things as a convenience and when we're using them as a necessity. You know, we're really testing this technology and it's not all holding up. And it's not. And, and a lot of people don't want to do that.
2: Like, you know, you can talk about social if you want properties and everything um, and, 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 and all of that. And it's, it's great Like you know, it keeps people,
3: Trousers, and you don't like them, and they're too big, or they're too small, or they're too colourful, or they too whatever they are. Yeah. and you put them back in the bag and you send them back. Yeah. You know, if you buy a house online, you know, it's completely
0: Absolutely. I, I just um, before the break, I spoke with uh, John McCartney from Savills and, you know, we we did discuss how uh, culture hasn't quite caught up with technology. And that's one thing we know. So the technology exists to do almost all of the property transaction from start to finish online. But that doesn't mean that people are ready to do that. So that's the, that's a part of the that's a link in the chain that that doesn't quite quite work. It's not quite connected, and you know this this might change that. Um, it might accelerate it, but we're not there yet. And I think that's a really good point, Pat. What it, what can be done? Like, what kind of guidance? And I know this is really a big question to ask you, but you know, what kind of guidance are you giving to your members? What can they do to be? Um, I I suppose to make their own business models and their own offices more robust in preparedness for coming out of this. Um, I think for,
2: I just, just go back to, the, to what we were talking about a second ago, like for auctioneers to see like, you know, from, from purchasers, when you, when you sell a property to a purchaser, a new house or whatever to a purchaser and they're a young couple, and they once to come to view the house and they view it once and they view it with their mother and they view it with their father and they view it with their father-in-law and they view it with their brothers and their sisters and they could view property ten times. And the joy of all those people that they've seen something in the property originally and then they're telling everybody else about what they've seen in the property and the joy that all that brings to people, like, you know, even to see it as an auctioneer and um, it's, it's a huge thing in the purchase of property because it's the delightfulness, I suppose, in one way that they're buying something that really they're going to be in, and you know that they're going to be there for the rest of their lives. So it's really good from that point of view. And um, I suppose what can what can you do, or what can members do to be to get them ready for when we come out of this? Like we'd like for for the government and the banks to increase the loan approvals for for the three months. We think that that's going to be a big help to people when we come out of this because uh, purchasers as it is, uh, granted, when we get out of of, of, of this, because we're in at the moment, and the problem is that, like, recessions come, and I've seen them from, when I started business in 1980, and I've seen a few of these recessions, they come on the go, and they're all financially based, and property prices fall, and and there's a lot of About price, or it's not only property that's available, or whatever.
0: true and that's something that historically we haven't been great as a nation at but i feel that um the government have been so preemptive um and they've been so uh, decisive and strong and prompt in their actions you know from from a health, public health point of view but also from a business health point of view for protecting people and then protecting people's incomes and protecting businesses and helping businesses to protect their employees. They've been so proactive. It feels like this is something that if they felt they could do it, they would. Yeah, I think and I think they have been very proactive and I think mm. they've been very very good and mm-hmm. um, from that point of view and protecting like I know there's going to be
2: huge cost to this but like you know at, at the end of the day if, if worth has to be worth the cost and it is worth the cost and the government have been doing very well in it, and especially from businesses and from employees' point of view, like you know, it's there that they, they, they have done all of these things and very quickly. Which is which is the big thing about if they put these things into, into they put these schemes uh, into train very very quickly, and I think that end of it is very very good.
3: And um, so that I suppose really all people can do is hope that we get out of this as soon as we possibly can. I think the the for people in the
2: future. Some people, obviously, will want, and some members will want to use more technology. Uh, some won't, it We would like to think that um, we would be able to get a buyer's pack together and that the government would actually support this and that this buyer's pack would include uh, contracts for sale and legal documentation and that we would like to have this for every property before they go on the market and we will be talking about this in the next, in the next short while because the was conveyance and something and everything that this is really the way to go that all these documents should be there before such time that somebody wants to look at the house or to buy a
0: house. Okay. And and the documentation should be
2: there and ready for it.
0: And Pat, that makes absolute sense. Does that mean maybe we could move away from this dual deposit system that we have in Ireland and move to something that's, but that's better for both parties? Well,
2: I know that uh, England are looking at at the moment It's sort of a buyer's agreement is what they're looking at um, because at the moment in Ireland you can buy a property today and you can pay
3: a property, pay the consulate today and it means absolutely nothing other than goodwill. Yeah. Uh, I know some people think that it means that you buy the property
2: and that nobody else can buy it and it actually doesn't because somebody can get up to you, it could be down the line 10 weeks and somebody could get up to you so it doesn't really mean an awful lot. Uh, we looked at buyers' contracts before when you buy something that there would be a contract there for the sale of the, to guarantee the sale of the property, like you know the price of the property. Um, but I don't think it was the owner from, uh, from the solicitors. But I think if there's a government tax, uh pack buyers pack with all of this information. Now it could be uh, in England that did this many years ago and they put an engineering uh, and report and everything with us and engineering support with us, but. I think whether they do, whether we go that down that far or not, but certainly the legal documentation needs to be there because it's taking too long to get the legal documentation together. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it's at all the solicitor's problems. I think there's planning and all sorts of different issues together. But I think that if we're working on it for a start, I minute mean, somebody goes for the property in the market, uh, that this information is got and put together, I think it's going to be a huge help for sales in the future. It's going to happen quickly. Uh, they're going to happen promptly. Information is going to be there and I think there's nothing stopping sales closing in when you do the sale of the property in four or five weeks once all that information got at be in the beginning. And again, solicitors will probably have a then have a problem here because people they will have to do a lot of work with people. So people are going to pay up front to get their documentation to get all this
0: Yeah, I, 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 Pat, I think that would be fantastic, and and more importantly, I think that there's never going to be a good time to do that. But now that the marketplace has been disrupted in this way, this might just be the time for positive change. So that's definitely something I'd love to discuss with you again at another time. Um, and and I know that we'll have plenty of time over the next weeks, um, certainly to to put those kind of strategies in and to start putting those kind of things in place. And now there's never been a better time to act than now. So that was Pat David, CEO of IPAV. Pat, thank you so much for joining us today. And that's it from us today. Uh, Thank you for listening in to Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at ipropertyradio.com or on Twitter at ipropertyradio. Also, thanks to Peter Rice on sound and show producer Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Tallon, and all the team here, stay safe.